Well, welcome to schools, right? We're supposed right. to do everything. Yeah. And also like make sure the kids have manners and they're fed and don't forget to teach them science. Um, yeah. And, and their pandemic trauma is all taken care of. Yep. Yep. Right. Would you say that right. like manners or anti-racism are like higher on the list? Oh, <laughs> it depends. Some of these kids, when they chew with their mouth open, I just don't know. I'm like, you know what? Forget about racism. Shut Take your off hole. your damn hat. Let's yes. stop talking about systemic racism. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to season two of the 3 to 10 project. Two white cisgender males who have been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our identities with our experience, as well as what we are reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. The 3 to 10 project reflects our long-term commitment, three to 10 years of working together to build community and culture, inspired by author Resma Menicum. You can learn more about Resma and find a link to the podcast that inspired us on our website. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. This season, we're framing each episode around an essential question. Sometimes we may uncover answers, Usually, we'll end up with even more questions. And as we move to hold ourselves accountable, we'll wrap up every discussion by setting specific intentions for action. How will we be moved to act, and what will we do? This is Season 2, Episode 4, entitled, What's It Like to Be a Teacher Fighting for Anti-Racism? Recorded on November 17th and December 19th, 2021. This is the second half of our conversation with three middle school teachers, If you haven't already, we encourage you to go back and listen to episode three before diving into this one. This is Reed kicking off things on my own. Mark will join me at the end of the episode. As we heard in episode three, Joanna, Haley, and Sashi are three middle school teachers who have led an effort to have district-wide conversations about race and to broaden anti-racist approaches in their school. They're doing this to support the learning of their colleagues, their students, and themselves. In the first part of their conversation, they described the changes that they have helped facilitate. As the conversation continues today, we shift the focus to how this work has been experienced by them. How does it feel to be leading anti-racist work in a school right now? Note that they'll reference DEI, which stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Also, I should be clear that Joanna is my wife, and my son attends the middle school where all three of these amazing teachers work. Let's dive back into their conversation. Do you feel like these efforts are improving your work, your experiences, like this is good, this is worth it, this feels good, or... Is are you banging your head against the wall? Like what? What is? How does this feel? And is it a positive, or are you feeling like this is not going the way we wanted? Um, I would say it's a net positive. I mean, I think anytime we can talk about race um, and systemic racism with our colleagues, it's a positive than not talking about it. 
I guess my frustration comes from, even though I love that it's teacher driven and teacher led in like in my circle, I felt like I found the whole thing very frustrating because we ended up talking about something that I thought was like kind of nonsense the whole time. And so as the facilitator, you know, I wanted to facilitate it in a way that was meaningful for the people there, but it, ultimately the conversation we had was very stifling for me as an individual. It's, it's definitely challenging. It's, I don't, I don't get as frustrated as Joanna does for sure. Um, I think part of it just has to do with I don't know. I wonder if you get more frustrated because you both are a parent in this community and a teacher. And I also wonder if I get less frustrated because I used to teach in a district where I was always the most liberal person in the room. And I think I just always assumed that's the way all schools were, that schools were inherently conservative. Um, and so when I found myself in an environment that was less conservative, I was kind of like, woohoo! Um, even though it's not perfect, uh, by any means, I don't know. I might be bad that I'm more accepting of the glacially slow pace at which we're moving. I don't know. I, I don't think know. A lot of my frustration comes from, you were talking about your experience, Sashi and other districts and them being more conservative. I mean, I think my frustration comes from my experience, right? Like I have a high expectation. I just feel like this is just going to end up being talk that we talked about this year. And then, you know, as long as Haley Sashi and the rest of the DEI committee are around, we'll do this. And then once all we're gone or we get tired or whatever, then this just stops happening. And the teachers can, we can all rally and do what we can and take over staff meetings and push, push, push. But yeah. And I, but I think that the more that we build, the harder it is to dismantle. You know what I mean? If there's a if there's a culture of this is what we do, whatever the next thing after circles is like, it, it seems like the leadership is always going to be ephemeral. And so is the staff. Right. Like it's always going to be shifting. And so like past practice, if we're building something that it that can be more durable. And I think that we talked about that at some point of whether we could even make it like a stipended position that somebody is the head of, the, of DEI at the middle school or at each building so that that. So it's sort of like, maybe that, I don't remember whose idea that was, but like something that like makes it more durable. Um, and I do think that like this work is always going to be frustrating. Like it just, it is, it's, it's hard and it's frustrating when people have um, views that are, that, that are so challenging. And I, I wonder too, like, you know, I think about it, like if we had, if we had a, an administrator that was really, really focused on this work, um, what would they not be focusing on? Like what, what would they be taking their eye away from? You know, like, I think part of the problem is, I don't, I don't know, maybe not problem, but part of the issue is as schools, as we're asked to do so much and I'm not making excuses. I think this is something we need to be doing and we can be doing, but I'm thinking about it. Like, from a sort of superintendent and like building administrators point of view, like the amount that we're asked to do like, oh yeah. And can you also like dismantle systemic racism in your building? You know, like it's not, it's not an excuse, but 
just seems, it seems like a lot to, to hand to schools. <laughs> well, welcome to schools, right? We're supposed right. to everything. Yeah. And also <laughs> like make sure the kids have manners and they're fed and don't forget to teach them science. Um, yeah. And, and their pandemic trauma is all taken care of. Yep. Yeah. Right. Would you say that right. like manners or anti-racism are like higher on the list? Oh, <laughs> it depends. Some of these kids, when they chew with their mouth open, I just don't know. I'm like, you know what? Forget about racism. Shut Take your Take off hole. your damn hat. Let's yes. stop talking about systemic racism. That's right. <laughs> this has been great to listen to. And I, what's coming up for me is I have a little bit of view of the world as a school committee member in a town that's not so different demographically, but very different politically. Um, and also as someone who gets a view into a bunch of schools across the country because of the work that I do. And I would say that I'm really like inspired by what's been shared. The three of you and others have empowered yourselves to take action. And that action has actually led to change. Really, you know, in the ways that you were intending. It may not be as fast as you want it. It may not be as clean, but it is from at least the vantage point that from my perspective, it's hugely positive, important, meaningful, and I can totally see it becoming durable. I love that word that was shared. So I just wanted to, to share that. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to open a can of worms, but we can close it immediately if we want. Um, since we have the three, three women on the line, you know, Mark and I, two guys always talking. And it struck, strikes me that we've got three women who are leading this work. And I just have to ask... What do you feel is the role of gender in this here in town? I mean, I don't see oh, any man. men on this oh, call. Man. <laughs> Are you really? Do you know your wife at all? Are you? What are you? What are you trying to do? <laughs> now we. All right, to, let's let's break it down. <laughs> now we need another hour. In two minutes or less. <laughs> I think is there actual flames and smoke coming out of Joanna's laptop right now? Because. I mean, to answer your question, we have literally <laughs> begged people who identify as men to join the DEI. There's one person on our committee. And even after after that plea, we got two folks, but they're just not quite able to make it to the meetings. So um, that's real. Like, yeah, that's I mean, that's education in general. I mean, what I mean, we have, we have to have a fairly high percentage of male staff members, I would say, at our school. Um, so interesting, like, why don't men see this as they're with the same necessity? I don't know, probably, I would say, putting aside the men that feel like, like they're overwhelmed or too busy, I would say some men would be afraid that in this group, they would have even less of a right to speak as white men, you know, and that they would be like, you know, that yeah, I think they would be afraid. Honestly, I think they would be afraid that they have that they are that they're going to secretly find out that they they are the oppressor. I don't know. Secretly, it's <laughs> no secret. I know, but like you know, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta say, Sashi, I really appreciate your like empathy for people, but I feel like right now, like 
show up anyway, like show up to one meeting, see what it's like, like overcome your fear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm definitely in the Joanna camp on this one of like, <laughs> if you think this is important, like, just dip your toe in the water. You know, I, I feel like there, there's, I'm not willing to say the men are too scared to come to the table. And that's, a, I, mean, I mean, I know you're not saying that that's okay. No, no, no. no. Like, I don't think, I don't think they feel, I don't think they would articulate it that way uh, uh, for sure. I think they would be like, Oh, I'm so busy. I have so many things going on. And like, yeah, we're all busy. We're all busy. Um, there, I mean, there's a whole issue of like, you know, who wants to be an administrator in education yes. and who ends up in positions of power anyway. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have any interest in being an administrator, but I go home a lot and I'm like, I could do this better. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think that frankly, I think that about a lot of things, which, (laughs) um, just has to do with my inflated self-concept, but like, yeah, there's like, there's a real, um, you know, uh, read, I think it's too much of a can of worms. Honestly, it's like a whole nother, (laughs) it's a whole nother conversation. Like I think gender is an issue for sure but it's a much deeper issue in education in general. I agree. And I would say for me, it's, it's, it is so deep that it affects my view on anti-racist work in school so deeply that they're, they're so intertwined for me that I'm not sure I could separate them. Um, and I, I, I get kind of pissed and defensive when I think about it. Um, so I, yeah, so my, my, my opinion on why they don't show up is pretty negative. And, um, I think that it would take a, a longer time than five, three to five minutes to, to, uh, deconstruct that. That's very, Should we move fair. on to our hopes. hopes yeah. For the so future? just want to make space for each of you to just share kind of where you hope to go from here. I hope that with all of this work being done at the sort of like canopy level of like the the school board and the audit and the teachers, like I want it to come to the kids. How do we get it to come to the kids in a more like without, it's, it's this weird dance, right? Because what Sashi was saying that she loves about the district is that we get autonomy uh, to a large degree. And so like, how do you also ensure that not just the kids who get the right teachers Mm. have a broad understanding of their place in society and the structures of racism that exist. Like, how do you ensure that no matter what teacher you get, you have some basic understanding of the world? Thanks, Haley. I feel like... I, I mean, I think as far as the collective work, I think, um, I don't know, I think Haley was talking about um, making this work, um, you used a good word, Haley, and I can't think of what it was. It was making this more permanent. Durable. Durable. Thank you. Making it more durable. I love like the idea of stipend and positions. I love the idea of, you know, after we get this audit, yeah, let's see what what curricular pieces can we put in place that will outlast any one individual at the school, you know, so that just like every year, the sixth grade goes to Chowanki, you know, every year, the fifth grade does this, the sixth grade does that, the seventh grade, you know, like this is a part of the curriculum all four years that, 
you know, that we establish some kind of like cultural competency. You know, you can't leave uh, the middle school without proving that you have some kind of like cultural competency around talking about race. Um, and yeah, something that's bigger than any teach, any one teacher or any one committee or any one administrator. I think that that's the, to me, I think that's the only thing that's going to create, you know, long lasting change. I would agree with those things. And, and I like the way you both frame them um, about um, things that kids will, will get and receive as a result of our work. Um, that, that is a way of, it makes me feel good about our work. Um, I guess in addition, I would say one hope is that leadership across the district understands their important role in sustaining this work and supporting this work and that they do it. Um, so that would be another hope of mine for sure. So um, it was great to listen um, again to the teachers talking with each other. And there's a lot of stuff that's come up and what they've said that I think is relevant for us to talk about. Do you, is there anything that's kind of top of mind you want to get into? Well, the first thing I'll jump right to the, the meat of kind of where that conversation ended that we were listening to them talk about the work that they've done. And almost as a throwaway at the end there, I, sort of asked this question about what the role of gender was. And I knew that that might be an interesting conversation. I mean, I asked the question because I was curious, but it struck me that that actually was a little more central to the work than I had been thinking about, right? I'd been thinking about, you know, the challenge of white teachers approaching this work in a white community, but it was really white women that had been driving a lot of the work. And so I just hadn't thought, and Joanna's comment, that those things were so do, so deep and, and intertwined that she couldn't even separate the role of gender and race in the work as a woman. And so I hadn't been thinking that way. And I could have gone that whole conversation and ended it without even thinking that if, if it hadn't come up at the end. And they really were, you know, concerned or disappointed, I think, about the, the lack of engagement of the male staff. Um, yep. And I'm curious, so you work in a whole bunch of schools. Do you see any difference in level of engagement between different identity groups? Well, in terms of race, absolutely. Although most of the schools I'm working in have so few black and brown teachers, but those people usually are right in the middle of, of leading the work. Um, and well, in terms of gender, as I think about it, yes, in the conversations I have, and this includes both school leaders, I think, and um, teachers across several districts, as I think about it now, it's overwhelmingly females that uh, do seem to be at the forefront. There, there are definitely men 
very involved that I can think of in different schools. But uh, I would have to say, yeah, in my experience, women are pushing the anti-racist work. Mm. That's, that's interesting. And um, so obviously there's this big intersection. And um, Well, the other thing, you know, it's just interesting to me that um, as Sashi was kind of processing that, three of them were discussing what's at the heart? What's at the heart of that? Why aren't there more men, for mm-hmm. example, helping them mm-hmm. out? And Sashi almost went to this thing at one point where she sort of brought up the fear piece again. And it made me think all the way back to the episode that started us getting uh, the three of them to chat with us, which is like, why does it seem that fear is one thing holding people back from doing anti-racist work? And I just thought it was an interesting echo for her to suggest that like, there's a gender hesitancy. Fear could be the word we use maybe for men, because if I can't be in control, then maybe I don't have a role in a, in, in a, in a conversation. Well, I mean, I think some frameworks and I don't, I'm not going to pretend to like really be so good at understanding and naming the different frameworks, but it seems like there's a fragility and it's, and there's like a power issue. So white males, especially have the most systemic power in our white patriarchal culture and they have the most to lose. Um, So there's fear that once you start engaging and it kind of, you almost have to admit that you have this power and then be willing to engage means maybe being willing to give it up. Um, And so like admitting you have the power is the first step to undoing some of that. And I think that I, I could see people being both kind of consciously fearful of that and unconsciously fearful of stepping into spaces that intentionally and specifically uh, push on the current order that puts them at the top. Yeah. Or I should say puts us at the top. Yeah. Right. Well, it reminds me, I went back and listened to a little bit of, we have talked before about the, seen on radio podcasts and their season three was about men and patriarchy and just, you know, reminded me, I mean, they talk in there about how the patriarchy, first of all, has existed for, for centuries and centuries, not a new creation, but it's a system of power. That's the same thing as racism, right? These are systems of power that come in because of power initially, not because of views of people's worth ability and we're all socialized to that here in America still. So I think for us, you know, as we, not that we haven't done this, but just a, re, a good reminder and something for us to continue to do as we move forward in re, our reflection and our work is remi- reminding ourselves that we're not engaging just as white people, as white body people, but also as, you know, cisgendered males. And that, yeah, we need to 
understand our own kind of the trappings of that and, and really challenge that in ourselves um, as we move forward. And I can think of things, you know, just lately in my own experience that it's very clear how, yeah, how hard it is to do that. Like that there's a, I have awareness of it, of my own kind of role in the system and, and how I can, you know, make it worse at times or can make it better. But I also like also have awareness sometimes like, wow, how much awareness I don't have. Like it's almost a waking up to, whoa, I, you know, for however much I think I'm being critical and thoughtful about power and my place in it, the more sometimes I realize, oh, I just totally have these huge blind spots. So maybe it's just consistently trying to identify where those blind spots are and um, try to shrink them less blind. Yeah. We usually end by trying to name sort of specific things moving forward. And I, I, I do have a very specific next action, a specific thing I'm going to try to do taking from that is just, I can think of one instance where I'm working with some female school leaders and I, about some of these issues uh, around race, but I've never talked about gender with them. And so I know at least one person, I think I have the relationship. I'm going to specifically ask her what she thinks the role of that is within her context, which might help me better help her think about ways forward. But it's not a question I've asked, and it's a specific one that I think I should ask. And so this is prompting me to, to do that. Well, and I'll, how about I share one thing that I um, could work on? Just that we are working, you know, my organization, we're working on moving toward a more shared leadership model. What came up this week, um, there's a lot, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It's an evolution. I think it's a kind of a never ending evolution, but one specific issue that came up, what is pay and compensation? And we've recently changed our titles and uh, organization, you know, because it's so new, it's really evolving, you know, pretty quickly um, in terms of roles and responsibilities. And I really recognized kind of my own holding of my mental models around compensation and and how it fit into shared leadership, how decisions around compensation should be made when there's shared leadership. And even like I had this view of myself as being so open about it, but when a specific instance came up, it became so, it became clear that I was pretty, still had a, quite a bit of rigidity about how and when and who the, this work around deciding pay would happen. And so it was, so it was interesting. Like I was like, I, I, at this, at the same time, I was like, I'm, I'm really progressive and open and moving towards this, uh, sharing of power. And at the same moment was like, no, I'm holding something here. 
um, trying to control it. So I have that alive, literally, you know, starting tomorrow or restarting tomorrow. So I'm just going to try to be really aware of the power dynamics and my own mental models around that as we move forward. And I think this is about being a man, being a white man, um, definitely plays into this issue of um, power around capital, around money. And yeah. Mm. So that's, that's my to-do. Yeah, that one's bigger than mine, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so again, appreciation for our guests and oh, um, yeah. for you to working to make that happen. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Yeah, it was great to have some guests. They, they really raised our level of thinking. So thanks again to Sashi and Haley and Joanna. We really appreciated having them on. All right, Mark. Well, you're probably going to go out and do a run. I'm going to go out and start shoveling all this snow. So hope your rest <laughs> of your weekend goes well. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project. You can find all episodes on our website and through a number of streaming apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Do you have a question you want us to wrestle with or a topic you'd like us to explore? Hey, would you like to be a guest on the show? You can email Reed directly at reeddyer1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think these conversations could be valuable to others, please pass the podcast link along. Finally, thanks as always to Random Chiz for our season two theme music.